This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 33, and we are recording on June 14th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. My landscaping guys in the apartment complex where I live are mowing the lawn right under my window. So if you all can hear that. I apologize. I have, like, shut the window and put sweaters in the gap <laughs> so that, like, the sound can't come in, but Amazing. advance apologies. They're on the same schedule as us, it seems like. Yep, because every week, every, every week, week, it's like, really? <laughs> Could you not? I mean, oh, well. do your job. I'm not a special snowflake, but still. Mm. <laughs> uh, on a less hilarious note, yeah. we wanted to take a minute to... Like, I don't even know, have a moment of recognition for the massacre in Orlando. Um, you talk about that LGBTQ episode, because I wasn't there for that. Okay. Um, when we first started the podcast, we had I had guests on every week, a different person every week. And I did a LGBTQ-focused uh, reading recommendation show with Danica Ellis, who is a contributor at Book Riot, and she runs the really great blog called The Lesbrary. Um, and all that we know to do from this show and at Book Riot in general when something like this happens is to put out books, uh, recommendations for people to read that have something to do with what happened because I, I mean yesterday we just we, we killed all of the new content and just ran content about LGBTQ books and gun control because that's mm -hmm. all the, that's all that we know to do that's all that we really can do um, from this seat uh, at Book Riot so I will leave a link uh, in the show notes to that particular episode of Get Booked where we talked about just LGBTQ books there's recommendations for LGBTQ romance and trans books and um, lots of really really great stuff the reading that I did for that episode was a lot of fun um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. So yeah, go give that a listen. Read some books for Pride because mm -hmm. it's what else can you do? Give some money to the Brady campaign and go read a book by a gay person. That's what you need <laughs> to do this week because that's that's what I'll be doing. Maybe write to your local government about gun control also. Um, but yes, we process our feelings through books here, as you might have noticed. <laughs> so, shocker, shocker. I know, I know. So anyway, yes. Okay. Happy Pride Month, I guess. Um so, yeah, uh, that's that. Okay, let's talk about how the show works. Uh, this is a recommendation show, and so that means that you send us questions and we answer them. Um, and it can be anything from what do you give to your niece who's graduating to what to get your uncle for Hanukkah or whatever. Um, or, you know, what to read after you're done being torn apart by a little life. There's all kinds of questions that we have answered and will continue to answer. If your question is on a timeline, uh, please note when you hope to have an answer by early on in the request, um, and we try to get to those as soon as we can, and otherwise we will get to every question, so if we don't get to yours immediately, do not fret. You can send them to us at getbooked at bookriot.com. You can put them into the form at the bottom of every Get Booked post on the site, or you can tweet at us. I'm Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, uh, on Twitter, and Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson, and we are always happy to to take your requests. Okay, first question. All right, um, I'm going to read the first question, then do our first sponsor, and then we will get to the answers. So this is from Tenille, 
And Neil says, uh, let's see, I need some book recs for a little quiet loveliness. My life is currently full of chaotic happenings, a lot of which is happening in my thoughts. I'm jonesing for a stars hollow kind of novel. Um, let's see. She says her favorite book of all time is The Shipping News, if that helps. I'm open to anything really fiction, nonfiction, YA, mystery. I'm a Christian, but not that kind of Christian. So language and interesting situations are totally welcome. Thanks for your help. Okay, so that's from Tennille. And so our first sponsor is tryaudiobooks.com. And they're focusing this month on family travel for reasons that make sense. You know, it's June. People are starting to pack up their cars and take road trips with their families. I'm probably going to be hitting the road and heading back to um, my ancestral roots in Virginia Beach, which is there's nothing <laughs> ancestral about it. It's just Delightful. Where, where I grew up. So I'm going to take my kids down there. We go home every summer and uh, go blueberry picking and, and do that whole thing. We might go Aww. camping, which is like four hours away. So, yeah, road trips. Um, and audiobooks are really great for road trips, no matter how old your kids are. But it can be like you know difficult to find something that's going to satisfy everybody and keep everyone in the car interested, especially if you're traveling with kids of really any age, young teenagers who automatically hate everything you like because they're too cool for you, you know that kind of thing. Um, so they, if you go to tryaudiobooks.com/slash/family-travel, they've got tons of suggestions for family-friendly audiobooks to listen to while you're driving. Um, you can also get a free download. The suggestions are really great. They've got, like, Grimm's Fairy Tales on audio, which is nice if you've got little kids. Uh, Ready Player One was a great... I listened to that on audiobook, and I think that's a really good recommendation. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, super funny. Everybody will love that. Um, And it's got jokes. Like, it's silly enough that I think younger kids will enjoy it. And it also... It does that thing that Pixar does, like Pixar movies, where there are jokes that are, like, built in for the grown-ups that the kids are not going to get that are kind of, like, blue. Um, And then, you know, everything else is for the kids because it's really hilarious. Um, But another thing that's great about tryaudiobooks.com is you can put in the length of your road trip and it'll give you recommendations based on how long you're going to be on the road. And they also do that for like crafting. If you know that you're going to be sitting on crafting for like three hours, you put in the length of the craft that you're doing and they'll give you a reading recommendation based on that. So I think that's a fun uh, and really useful tool. So go to tryaudiobooks.com slash family travel and get a free audiobook download for your road tripping needs. All right. Thanks for sponsoring the show. Okay. So answer one, I'll just go because I'm already talking. Um, (laughs) So quiet, uh, quiet loveliness, and you mentioned that you're a Christian, so I, my first pick for you is Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, which probably does not need to be recommend- recommended on any Book Rage show ever again, but it fits so well into what you're asking for um, that uh, I did it anyway. So when I feel like Gilead and all of the books that take place there, that like trilogy that Marilyn Robinson wrote about the people um, in that town are perfect, like small town, quiet life books and uh the book it's like epistolary it's uh letters from a a pastor or a reverend in a small midwestern town who is older he's getting up in age he married like super late in life and had a son and his son is i think like six or seven in the book um and he knows that he's not going to live the past the reverend i I don't the differences between those two confuse me but the uh the clergyman who is the main character knows that he's not going to be around probably when his son is older and is going to need like really in-depth life advice so he's pretty much writing down like the history of his family and his thoughts about life the universe and everything in these letters to give to his son because he knows he's probably going to die before his his child is old old enough to like need the advice um so it's a little bit heartbreaking but it's mostly just about a quiet midwestern family and the trials and tribulations that people living everyday lives 
lead. And it, it, but it tackles these huge, big universal things. As we do, as we live our quiet everyday lives, we tackle these huge, big universal themes of faith and love and loss and even things like racism and, uh, you know, dealing with your family, which can be like the biggest epic drama that exists. Um, but it is, it's quiet and it's lovely. And Marilyn Robinson's sentences are very soothing. Like her writing voice is very soothing. So if you've got a lot happening in your life and you just want to read something about like normal people doing the thing, I think this is a really great pick. So that's Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. Normal people doing the thing is such a good phrase for this question. <laughs> um, my first pick is a collection of short stories called Unaccustomed Earth by Jhumpa Lahiri, who is amazing. I mean, we all know that Jhumpa Lahiri is amazing. Um, and this collection has eight stories, and they take place everywhere from Cambridge to India to Thailand to Seattle. Um, and they're each just about a person in, in life doing life things. Um, so, for example, one of them is about a young mother whose father comes to visit her um, and she like discovers a family secret in the course of him being there. Um, there's one about a woman who is trying to take care of her younger brother who's having troubles with addiction. There's a set of a couple, I think it's three linked stories um, about these two people who have met early in life and, you know, sort of re-meet at pivotal moments in their life. Um, it's funny, one of the strongest images that I have from reading this book, which I read years ago, is of one of the characters, like, washing dishes while talking to her dad. And it's just such a, like, normal moment, but there's so much emotional weight in the story to that moment that it just, like, stuck. Um, and washing dishes, like, I have a very specific relationship to that anyway. So anyway, Lahiri <laughs> is really good at, like, taking those moments that are just life moments and pulling out all of the nuance in them. Uh, and there's also a lot in this uh, collection about being first or second generation immigrants, which I think a lot of people will identify with. Um, but it's just, she's such a good writer and she's so good at characters and her books are just, you know, I, I lose my words. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that is Unaccustomed Earth by Jimpa Lahiri. Okay, um, my second selection for you was, actually, I brought this question to the book art contributors, and Angel Cruz, whatever contributors, recommended this, A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Uzeki, which is, to warn you, tough. It's a tough read that's got a lot of difficult stuff happening in it, but you said your favorite book was The Shipping News, which is difficult, so I don't feel like darkness is really going to... Um, like dissuade you but it is a lot about a life quietly lived the there's two main characters the first one is ruth who is a writer who lives uh in the u.s and she discovers like a, a hello kitty lunchbox on a beach that's like washed ashore and she thinks it's probably maybe possibly debris from the tsunami um of 2011 uh and so she opens it and inside discovers a young girl's diary and some other detritus um and the, so the diary is a girl named now she's 16 she lives in tokyo she has a really horrifyingly difficult life she experiences a lot of bullying she's very lonely she's considering ending her own life and before she does that she wants to document the life of her great-grandmother who is 104 and is a buddhist nun and has had you know some adventures as one would imagine and so ruth who has discovered this diary is is reading the diary and so you're following both of these timelines, Ruth is trying to write a book about her, um, I think her, her mother or her grandmother, I can't remember, who has Alzheimer's, um, but can't like make the words come. And then you're also reading uh, now, a, now a story of her, gram her great grandmother's life and her own life. So there's a lot of, you know, 
lives quietly lived happening here, but they're, they're lives quietly lived that are really tough. So, but I don't think that will bother you. Um, and Ruth Ozeki is just, man, just a great writer. There's a lot, I love this thing of like a lot of different threads in a novel eventually coming together. So that's The Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki. Also really great for book clubs. Just Mm -hmm. throwing that out there. Yeah, that book is so meta Mm because Ruth Ozeki, the author, is also a Buddhist nun. So like there's Mm -hmm. like levels upon levels going on in there. And the Ruth in the book is Japanese-American and I'm I'm pretty sure Ruth Ozeki herself is also so true. Yeah, there's just a lot going on. (laughs) Super interesting. Uh, Okay, my second pick for you is like the southerniest of southern. Uh, The Ballad (laughs) of the Sad Cafe and Other Stories by Carson McCullers. I guess I did pick two short story collections for you. Um, I hope that's cool. Short stories are great. Uh, Anyway, Carson McCullers obviously is amazing. She's the author of The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, which is a novel. But this collection, which I read for a book group mm, last year, year before, is amazing. Uh, The Ballad of the Sad Cafe, which is the title story, is a novella um, that's just... Oh, man, it's so good. It's about a woman um, named Miss Amelia who runs this cafe that's sort of the town's central hangout slash gathering place. And there, there's a love triangle, and it unfolds into this giant brawl. Um, and it's just kind of like, it's that, like... I want to use the word rollicking, which feels a little <laughs> forced, but kind of like it's it's kind of rompy in the same way that it's super quiet. Like McCullers is a really quiet writer, um, but she also manages to like get some sly humor in there and also, you know, lots of feelings. Um, and the this collection also contains the first story, short story she ever published and um, that she wrote when she was 17, which is just when you read the story, you're just like, what? Like, Bonkers. She's such a genius. Um, so I think this is a really interesting collection from that perspective as well, and that you get a lot of different stories from different points in her life. Um, but The Ballad of the Sad Cafe is like one of my favorite things she's, she ever wrote. And uh, I think everybody needs to read it, and it's exactly the kind of thing you're looking for. So that's The Ballad of the Sad Cafe and Other Stories by Carson McCullers. All right. Okay, question two. It's me. Uh, this question is from Angela Johnson. I know you recently recommended books about deciding to not have children, but I have a friend who is recently pregnant and is frustrated. She wants to have children, but it happened much sooner than she expected, and she's having a hard pregnancy, and the people around her are seeing the joys of pregnancy, and she's feeling alone. I'm looking for books that basically tell her it's okay, and it's hard, and her feelings are normal and validated. So I'm just going to preface with, (laughs) I have never been pregnant, and I don't have kids, and I don't plan on it. So this question was hard for me, but I do have one recommendation from a fellow contributor. But Amanda has a lot of recommendations. So Amanda, should I go first, and then you go? Yeah, you go first, and then I'll, I'll give three. All right, cool. So the I I talked to we actually had an epic conversation about pregnancy thanks to this question in the Book Riot um, <laughs> contributor forum, and uh, one of the recs that came out of that was recommended by Rachel Smalter Hall, who is amazing and mm-hmm. has uh, has a child herself, and so knows from pregnancy. Um, and <laughs> the book is called From the Hips: A Comprehensive, Open-Minded, Uncensored, Totally Honest Guide to Pregnancy, Birth, and Becoming a Parent by Rebecca Oates and Caradon Morris. 
Um, and it's got chapters like uh, I Want My Life Back, which is about anxiety and ambivalence and also postpartum depression. Um, it's about there's a chapter called Parents and Partners that's about like family and how you deal with family during this time and afterwards. And um, there's another one that's about decisions like, uh, you know, how to decide about things like prenatal testing and natural versus medical childbirth and breastfeeding or bottle feeding, etc., etc. Um, and uh, Rachel said that it was very frank and very honest and had a lot of just real talk about, like, maybe you don't feel like a goddess. Maybe you don't feel like a fertility goddess and this <laughs> is hard and you need to think about it from, you know, the perspective of people who have been there and this is a good pick for that. So that's From the Hips by Rebecca Odes and Cara Dwen Morris. Okay, um, so... Your poor friend. <laughs> I, like, want to find her and give her a hug. Um, I had the same. I had a very similar situation. I, I got pregnant, and it was a surprise, and then I was having twins, and that was a surprise, and it was very – my pregnancy was really hard, and there was, like, complications and stuff. Um, and being surrounded by people who were just like, don't you just feel like you're glowing makes you want to set everyone on fire. <laughs> um, so hug her for me. I know those feels. Um, so I have three recommendations for you because I did a lot of reading about how much pregnancy and childbearing and having – Children and being a parent can be difficult um, <clears throat> because it's a thing that we don't talk about enough. So my first pick for you is a novel. It's called Afterbirth by Eliza Al or Alyssa Alyssa Albert. Um, I love this book so much. The the main character in this book is so angry. She's she has a child. She had a C section unexpectedly, which she did not want to do, um, and is kind of traumatized by that fact. Her son is about a year old when the book takes place. And so she's looking back on her first year of motherhood, which has been really hard. Her child didn't sleep a lot. Her, her um, husband is helpful, but in that way that men are helpful, where, like, they've changed a diaper once a day and they feel like that was, like, they really contributed to the parenting of the child. Um, and so she's just mad. Like, she's mad about everything that she's lost in her life, about having kids. She's mad about her birth experience not going the way that she wanted it to. She's mad at all the other moms she encounters, no matter what choices they make. And she's not a likable person. Like, this main character, her name is Ari. Um, Ari is not a likable main character. She's um, just very relatable. Uh, and she she's in that headspace of, like, when you're exhausted and nothing that you do feels right because every move that a mother makes is judged by someone. Um, you just start to be angry at everyone and you start to judge other mothers in that like vicious cycle because you get defensive. And so um, reading the book, you will, as a, a person who is pregnant or, or has already had a child, you can start to feel kind of defensive because she judges everyone no matter what they do. But that's real. Like you get you get into that headspace of being exhausted and angry and then it becomes this kind of like vicious cycle. Anyway, there's a lot in it about feminism and the choices that women make. Um, and I'm sure if your friend is pregnant, she's been dealing with people being up in her business about whether or not she's going to breastfeed. There's stuff in, in the book about that, about how invasive those questions are and whether or not and how like no matter what you do, you feel bad about it. Um, so it's short. It's like maybe 200 pages. But everything that is hard about being pregnant, giving birth and having a child under the age of one is here. Um, so. Anybody out there who wants to feel like your feelings are validated um, when you're going through any of those experiences, it's a good pick. Okay, so on a less angry note, my second selection for you is The Blue Jays Dance. It's by Louis Erdrich, who, of course, wrote The Roundhouse and a bunch of other books that we've recommended several times here. And this is her memoir of the first year of her daughter's life, her third child. So this is um, the memoir of her having her third kid. Which is an interesting perspective, because most memoirs that you read about uh, motherhood are... 
a first child, like someone has had their first kid and is just like blown away by how hard and amazing and all that kind of thing. But um, by the time she's written this book, she's an old hat. And so a lot of it is very reassuring because she does things with her kid, like leaves her on the floor while she writes for hours because a baby is not going to, they can't move. So like whatever. Um, And you feel when you're a first time parent, you feel so um, nervous and like anxiety, you have so much anxiety about what if I hurt this new fragile thing. And by the time you've had your third, you're like, nah, they're flexible. Like they're bouncy. You drop them and they literally bounce. It's fine. Um, so there's a lot of comfort in this, in this book. And Louise Erdrich's meditations are on motherhood here are amazing because she lives in this, um, she lives in the middle of nowhere in New England, and she has a writing shed where she works uh, on her property somewhere where she, like, spends half of her time writing and half of her time, like, staring at birds and foxes and stuff that wander on her property. So um, I've been describing to people, I've been describing this book to people as uh, a pilgrim at Tinker Creek with a baby. Because it's mostly like Louise Erdrich's meditations on nature and the act of writing, the act of creating, with like some stuff about how her kid is around, crawling at her feet, thrown in there, which is very reassuring. Like if you're worried, if the the nature of your friend's worries about her pregnancy or that she's not going to be able to have a life after she has a kid, I feel like this will put a lot of that, not to rest, but like you get some reassurance from it. Um, okay, and so my last pick for you is called Breeder. It's um, essays, an anthology of essays. The subtitle is Real Life Stories from a New Generation of Mothers. So this is, like, not uh, Betty Draper writing about motherhood, which is good because she's actually kind of a psychopath, but you know what I'm saying. Um, This is, like, single moms, teen mothers, uh, women who give birth at home, people, women who are having children in, like, various and sundry unconventional capacities writing essays about what it's actually like to have a toddler, what it's actually like to give birth in your house with a midwife and no doctor, what it's actually like to be 16 and to have a baby. So um, it's a lot of not, if, if, how to phrase, a lot, it seems to me that a lot of the mothering memoirs that I've read have been by women who are in established relationships, whether um, they're part, whether they're married or partnered or whatever, but they are in established, like they've got assistance and not everyone in this essay collection has that assistance or support. So I feel like that's a valuable um, perspective. So that's Breeder. Oh, it's edited by Ariel Gore and Dan Savage and B. Lavender. And I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. All right. Okay. Question three. This is from Jennifer. She says, I'm looking for a way to ex- uh, to learn more about Islam and the Muslim faith. When I search for books on the subject, I feel like my head is going to explode. Yes. Uh, let's see. I could use a nonfiction book, but I also love novels set in the culture. I loved Scarlet Undercover, which is the YA novel. Um, and this book, plus a few Muslim friends that I have and current events are prompting me to learn more. Um, so that is from Jennifer. We did not pick this with current events in mind, but now it's feeling... Yeah particularly timely. So Relevant. I'm going to stop talking now and you can, you go. <laughs> okay. Um, my first pick for Jennifer is a book I mentioned, I think once on the show before it's called the faithful scribe, a story of Islam, Pakistan, family and war by Shahan Mufti. Um, and this is particularly relevant. I think right now, because people are throwing Sharia law around as a concept without understanding 
even a little bit of what they are talking about. And I'm like restraining myself. I get really angry about this. Um, <laughs> so this book is good for that because it's written by a journalist who um, his own family history, they can trace it back like 1400 years to the inner circle of the Prophet Muhammad. And many members of his family have been judges and jurists in the Muslim Sharia courts of South Asia. And so he is coming from this uh, personal background that also allows him to look at the bigger picture, um, specifically of Pakistan. Pakistan and um, the and Islamic civilization in those regards. So it's interesting. He goes back and forth in this book between sort of personal anecdotes about his family. Um, you know, he's got stories from his mother and his grandmother and grandparents on both sides. Um, and he also is talking about like you know, current events and the way that Pakistan is viewed both um, internally and externally um, because he's got experience in the Western world. Um, and so, and, and you know, talking about like how Pakistan was the world's first Islamic democracy and then what has happened since that, you know, first sort of bright promise moment. Um, so, and, and he believes that, you know, by looking at Pakistan, we can see uh, important things about the the wider uh, world of, you know, religion and politics and how it all comes together. So uh, I think this is a very worthwhile read. Um, I think he handles it really well. It's not a hard read. He's a very good storyteller, um, but the research is also clearly there, which I appreciate a lot. So that's The Faithful Scribe by Shahan Mufti. Okay, um, so I think I, I was looking for, like, a fun way, because you said that when you were looking for books on the topic, you felt like your head was going to explode. So I, my first pick for you is Ms. Marvel, Volume 1, which is called No Normal by G. Willow Wilson. And this is a comic book. Um, if you don't feel like going out and searching out the individual issues, then just go get the, the trade, which is the first five or six issues collected, and it's called No Normal. Uh, Ms. Marvel is so much fun, and it's a, it's a really easy and enjoyable way to get some, like, 101-level um, look, a 101 level look into a Muslim family's life with superpowers. That part is not necessarily accurate, but maybe, you don't know. Who knows? Um, so Miss Marvel is about Kamala Khan, who is a teenager. She lives in Jersey City. Her parents are uh, immigrants and her family is Muslim and they are um, kind of on the more traditional side. So her brother is very religious. Her parents are pretty traditional and conservative. Um, she's not allowed to do some of the things that her friends are allowed to do. Uh, but it's never presented. And the thing that I really appreciate about Miss Marvel is the things that make her and her family different are not presented as oppressive or um, like weird or bad. They're just presented as different, as it's a different culture. And this is what their family is like. And Kamala discovers that she, or not discovers, so I'm not going to spoil it, but circumstances conspire to make her into a superhero. She, they, she has superhuman powers. So she has to figure out how to live as it, both a teenager, an American, a Muslim, and a person who wants to be a hero, which I feel like, especially right now, is um, a super relevant story. But so there's um, scenes where she's out fighting crime, but there's also scenes where she's in her mosque talking to her religious leaders looking for advice about how to handle her life. And there's also scenes with her at home, interacting with her family, um, doing the thing, just living a Muslim life. And G. Willow Wilson does put, um, what am I saying, like footnotes when there are words that maybe an American reader won't understand or um, like Muslim traditions, references to Muslim traditions that maybe an American reader or a, not an American reader, but somebody who is not Muslim would not get. Um, so there's a, a lot of explanation in it and it's presented in such a just a normal way because it is normal. G. Willow Wilson herself, the author, is Muslim. She converted uh, as a younger person. So, yeah, 
Miss Marvel, go read it. G. Willow Wilson. I've already said that a million times. <laughs> <laughs> She's awesome. I love G. Willow Wilson. She's so good. And that's edited by Sana Amanat, who's amazing um, and is daughter of immigrants herself, I believe, and has, like, spoken. Her TED Talk is about comics. And, oh. Like, being a brown girl in comics is, like, like I didn't know she had a TED Talk. Oh, what my God. Talk? Google it. We'll leave a link in the show notes. Uh, okay. It's so good. She's so, so good. Um, okay, okay. Sorry. Enough about that. Um... So my second pick is when I'm right in the middle of reading. It was recommended to me by fellow writer Kareem Shaheen, and it is so good. It's Sex in the Citadel, Intimate Life in the Changing Arab World by Shireen Elfeki. Um, she is an Egyptian-American. Her background is in medical science and also journalism. And she decided um, in the wake of the Arab uprising that she wanted to look. She was raised in the West but always went home in the summers to visit her family in Egypt. And she decided she wanted to look at what was going on. Um, in the Middle East and also to kind of try to understand more about her own personal, you know, family history and background by studying how people approach sex in the Arab world. Uh, specifically, a lot of this is looking at Egypt, but she also is talking about um, Morocco and a couple other Middle Eastern countries. But a lot of it is revolving around Egypt. And it is so well done. She's so good at taking, she's she's interviewing people. She, she did research over the course of five years. So she interviewed tons of people. She talked to people on the street and family members and, you know, looked at research that's already been done and surveys that, you know, have been put out by NGOs and governments and, you know, religious groups. And um, she's pulling all of these different strands in, like, the politics and, you know, sex education. Um, she's looking at why it's hard for young people to get married in the Middle East right now and how that's changing their relationship to sex, um, what people will and won't talk about, which is, like, mostly won't talk about. <laughs> um, yeah. How this relates to street harassment, how it relates to the uprising itself and the social changes going on there. Um, it is so fascinating. And she's, I feel like she's very even handed. I mean, it's hard for me as a Western white person to know for sure, but um, she's giving a lot of different sides of every story. Like for every opinion expressed, there's the flip side. Um, and she's tackling really difficult topics. Like there's a chap, there's part of one chapter is about female genital mutilation. And She's interviewing, like, doctors and midwives and women who have and have not had it and who will and won't do it to their daughters. And it's just, I mean, I feel like she is really being as comprehensive as she can. Um, it's not a short book. It's, like, 400 pages long. Uh, but it's so far, like, every page I'm just like, oh, wow, this is so interesting. Um, and I feel like it also, it's funny because she talks about how in, in the Middle Eastern you know, world, they like, oh, Westerners are all obsessed with, you know, porn and sex and it's no <laughs> big deal over there. And it's like, yeah, that's not accurate <laughs> either. Um, and she talks was. about that because she grew up in the West. And so she's, you know, she's looking at like, you know, the stereotypes also of like Western versus Eastern attitudes towards sex. And the whole thing is really fascinating. So I cannot recommend it highly enough. So that's Sex and the Citadel by Shireen Elfeki. Okay, my second pick for you is The Girls of Riyadh by Raja Alsania, and it's translated by uh, Marilia Booth. And this is such a fun and gossipy thing of a book. <laughs> I love it so much. So the main character is, it's kind of a, um, oh, not sex and the city, a gossip girl. It's a gossip girly sort of thing where the main character is sending, you don't, the narrator rather, the narrator, you don't know who she is, and she is, has created this email newsletter that every week she sends out 
um, a look at the lives of her four best friends who are all college-aged girls living in Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Um, and it's just a newsletter about a story of their life of one of the focusing on one or the other of the four friends. Each of them is taking like a different path. One of them gets married, um, drops out of college or no, doesn't, either doesn't go to college or drops out. I don't remember. Anyway, gives up on her education to, uh, get married. It's an arranged marriage. And, um, she moves to the U S with her husband who is working on a PhD. Uh, and then he abuses her and cheats on her. And it turns out that like his family, uh, he was seeing another woman in America. His family forced him to marry this girl from Saudi Arabia because, you know, good and tradition and all this thing. So there's that person or that girl. There's a, another um, who is dating a man who she really enjoys. Her family approves. Everything's going really well. He pressures her to into doing some, like, sexual stuff. She says yes. And then he, break, he, then he divorces her because she gave in, I guess. And it's just, like, really heartbreaking. Um and uh, there are, you know, two other friends. You're following all of these stories. And as you're going, um, you're reading the emails that the narrator is sending out. So you get the fictional reactions of the Saudi people who would be reading her newsletters, both men and women. And, of course, the reactions that she get, much like the reactions the novelist got when she wrote this book, are both how dare you let people look into the li- uh, into the lives of young women in Saudi Arabia, and also thank you for letting people look into the lives of, of young women in Saudi Arabia. And it's not just young women in Saudi Arabia, it's rich young women. So these are very closeted, um, protected, upper-class women in a very strict, like very strict, from very strict religious families, but also in a very strict and traditionalist society. So um, it's not just a look at the ins and outs of being Muslim. It's a look at the ins and outs of living in Saudi Arabia, which, um, you know, living in the Middle East and being a Muslim are not the same. But in this case, it's just a, it's a really fascinating and fun, gossipy kind of book. So that's The Girls of Riyadh by Raja Asaniya. All right. Time for our second sponsor, <clears throat> which is The Girls by Emma Klein, which if you are f- social media and book feed is anything like mine you have already been seeing everywhere um it's got that super distinctive cover which i really like it's Mm. a photograph of a woman and the title is sort of across her big 60s sunglasses uh so what the book is about the girls is a story about a young girl named evie who is in she was in her teen she was 14 years old in 1969 growing up in northern california and one day she's hanging out at a park and she sees this other group of girls who just like seem to have everything she wants they seem confident they seem like they have loyalty to each other they seem like they're happy um and she wants to find out more about them and she gets drawn in by them and then meets the man who is sort of the leader of the group of girls slash turns out to be a cult slash turns out to be about the Mansons. Um, so the the sort of source of this is that Emma Klein read Helter Skelter as a teenager and she didn't like really care about Manson himself. She was more fascinated by the girls who became part of his group, um, who seemed like people that she could know. Um, she herself grew up with four sisters and so has like, you know, a lot of experience and feelings about groups of women. And she wanted to explore that feeling of 
powerlessness and then discovery that a lot of young women go through and how it can be twisted to really dark ends if you are don't have sort of if you run into the wrong people if you don't have a good moral compass if you are led astray uh, there's all kinds of ways where that first sort of dawning of personhood can be twisted out of shape um, and she wanted to explore that so the girls which comes out on June 14th which is today happy mm-hmm. book birthday to the girls by Emma Klein um, is exploring all of those things from the perspective of Evie who is sort of looking back on her childhood and um, you kind of get, you find out how far did she get drawn into this whole thing um, over the course of the novel. So that is The Girls by Emma Klein, thanks to our second sponsor. All right. Oh, is it me? Oh, it's it you. is me. Question four. Okay. Yeah. Question four. All right. So the question is from Alex. Father's Day is coming up, and I have a habit of giving my dad books because I never know what else to get him. Fair. Me too. Uh, (laughs) It's usually pretty simple because our taste in books has some overlap. He's read all of the Game of Thrones and the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo books. He likes mysteries and Harlequin romance. Yeah, dads who like romance. That's awesome. I'm, like, so excited about that section of this question. (laughs) Okay. Back to the question. I gave him the newest book in the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series for Christmas, and I'm not sure where to go from there. All right. I'm going to keep talking since I'm talking already. All right. My first pick for you is The Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith, who, as we now know, is J.K. Rowling. Um, This is the first in her Cormoran Strike series, which are so good. I was really not expecting to enjoy them as much as I do, Um, but they're great. The lead detective, Cormoran Strike, is uh, a war vet. He lost his leg to a landmine in Afghanistan, and now he's a PI, and he is really not doing that great. He is, uh, he's like sleeping in his office, his, you know, on again, off again girlfriend slash fiance slash who knows what she is to him now has kicked him out. Um, and they're like feuding. Uh, and the temp agency sends along a new office manager slash receptionist to him. And he like, didn't even remember that he requested one and can't pay her anyway. Um, and, uh, and then this new client comes in, um, whose sister was a supermodel who famously, uh, fell to her death months earlier. It was ruled a suicide, but he doesn't believe, John Bristow doesn't believe that his sister committed suicide. So he wants Strike to investigate. Um, And Strike is kind of like, I will just take this man's money. Like, I'm not going to find anything. You know, she's a supermodel. She's on drugs. She was crazy, like lived a crazy life. She probably just jumped off her balcony, but I need money. So I'm going to take this case. Um, And things play out from there. Uh, It's a really well done sort of hard-boiled noir mystery with some nice modern touches. Um, I really love the relationship between, well, at first I love the relationship between Cormoran Strike and um, his, like, plucky sidekick receptionist lady, uh, who <laughs> is great. What is her name? I, like, have forgotten her name. But she's amazing. I don't remember either. But yeah, she's but she's really good. Um, I only remember Cormoran's name because it's, like, literally the name of the series. I'm terrible at remembering Cormoran's name. Um But anyway, she's, like, young and has secret dreams of being Nancy Drew, basically, um, which nobody in her life even knew until she got placed at this temp job. And uh, I don't know. They're really well-paced. They get better as the series goes along. Like, the first one is good, and then they just keep getting better after that. So that's The Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith. Okay, um, so he likes mysteries. If he likes The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, probably darker mysteries. So my first pick for you is Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn, who, of course, wrote Gone Girl. But I feel like Sharp Objects is better. It's at least darker. 
and a little weirder. So the main character in this book is named Camille. She's got a history of mental illness. She's just come out of a psychiatric, a state at a psych hospital, um, and she's gone back to work. She works at a newspaper. She's like a, you know, it's like a second-rate daily in a small town in Illinois kind of a thing. I think it's Illinois. Anyway, um, and her boss wants to send her back to her hometown to cover the murders of two preteen girls, thinking, like, if you break this, then it'll put our paper on the map kind of a thing. Um, she doesn't want to. She doesn't like, she has bad memories of home. Her mother is neurotic, and they don't get along. Her mother has remarried, and they ha- and, and has another daughter, a 13-year-old girl. She's got, so Camille has a half-sister who she also does not know or really get along with. Um, they are wealthy and well-known in this town. Um, so she's coming back kind of prodigal son-like uh, in this big giant mansion where she grew up. And she's trying to survive. So she goes home to do her job and stay with, she's staying with her mother. And she's trying to get to know her little sister a little bit while at the same time trying to figure out if the murders of these two young girls are connected and if so, why. Um, and she starts to identify with the, the victims a little bit. She's following clues that the cops aren't getting. She gets inappropriately involved with one of the investigators also. Um, and eventually she figures out who done it. And of course, I'm not going to tell you who it was um, or even hinted who it was. But Gillian Flynn can write a surprise. I'll tell you that much. Obviously, I mean, like, that's why people love Gongo, right? Because you're the whole thing. You keep expecting it to go one way and it just keeps going left instead of right. Um, and so, yeah, it's a tough read, like super dark, really violent. Obviously, trigger warnings everywhere for everything that you can imagine. Um, murder and, and rape and abuse and um, self-harm, all this stuff. There's a lot going on here. But it's so... Good. In the same way that, like, the girl with the dragon tattoo is, a, it's like hard, it's a train wreck. It's hard to look at because all this horrible stuff is happening, but you just have to know what's going on. Sharp Objects is, like, is a lot like that. So, Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn. Gillian Flynn, goodness gracious. <laughs> I remember the the receptionist's name. It's Robin. Yeah. She's, she's <laughs> great. Robin is great. Okay. Um, my second pick for your dad is Devil in a Blue Dress by Walter Mosley, who's amazing. Um, and side note, we'll be at Book Riot Live November 12th and 13th. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. More details at bookriotlive.com. But so Walter Mosley is sort of a legend in mystery. Um, he started writing this series a long time ago, and it's the newest book, Charcoal Joe, is just coming out soon. So if your dad has already read these, um, there's a new one coming. But if he hasn't, Devil in a Blue Dress is the first one. And they are about a man named Easy Rollins, who is also a war veteran. Hmm. I apparently like mysteries about war veterans. Who knew? Uh, So he is back in town. Um, It's set in the 1940s in Los Angeles in, like, the Watts area. Um, And he's out of work and, like, can't pay his mortgage and is hanging out in his friend's bar when a guy walks in and offers him a job finding a young woman named Daphne, um, who's a young white woman who they think is hanging out in bars uh, frequented by African Americans. And Israel is black. Um, And so he takes a job because he's broke um, and things immediately get more complicated. Um, he sees uh, friends that he used to know and ends up going home with one of them and then suddenly she's dead and he's a suspect so he's trying to clear his own name while he's trying to do this job tracking down this other woman um, and things kind of unfold from there. 
Mosley is, is like so good at plotting um, and his characters are really memorable. There's this like uh, Easy Rollins' friend Mouse is one of everybody's like favorite when you talk about the series with other people that are like, oh, Mouse, um, sort of like a sidekick type guy. Um, and uh, yeah, this there's a, a billion books in the series, so there's more where that came from. And there's also a movie with Denzel Washington, actually, um, which I haven't watched yet, but I've heard good things. So that is Devil in a Blue Dress by Walter Mosley. Okay, I couldn't resist picking a romance for this because you yes, said your dad yes. likes Harlequin. So, yay! Um, so my selection is Destiny's Embrace by Beverly Jenkins. I feel like this has got kind of a dad vibe because it takes place in the West. And totally. I don't know, like, I don't, that's just the goofiest, like, assumption of me to make. But <laughs> but there it is. It's dad's like, a, like Westerns, right? Yeah, it's a Western romance. Dad's like that kind of stuff. Anyway, it's, it's awesome whether or not you like um, Westerns. Um, so Mariah is the main character of Destiny's Embrace. She lives on the East Coast. She has an awful, abusive, just awful mother. Um, and so to get out from under her thumb, um, she takes a job as a housekeeper way out in the West in California. And when this takes place in the mid, like, in the mid-1800s, 19th century. So her plan is to, like, go. She's going to work as a housekeeper. She's going to save some money. Then she's going to move on and make her way in, in California. But she's... When she gets to the the ranch where she's going to work as a housekeeper, um, she realizes that the owner, the guy whose house she's going to be keeping, uh, Logan, is awful. Like, he is a complete slob, and he's, like, rude to her. Um, He's obsessed with his work. um, But she's determined that he is not going to ruin her plans. She's not going to be run off. She's going to put some order into his house, literally and figuratively, um, and do the thing. And she stands up to him in a great way. Mariah is really sassy. And um, the the book has great side characters. Logan's mother becomes, like, best friends with Mariah. And Logan's mother is just an amazing character. Um, Logan and Mariah are both black, which is not super common in really well-known romances, but I really appreciate it. It's a, And the thing about Beverly Jenkins is that she, her books are so... Well researched. She's like she's not just telling a romance story, which in and of itself is great, but she's retelling um, stories of people who and experiences that actually existed that don't necessarily get a lot of stage time in romance or in any genre. So that's a thing that I really appreciate about Beverly Jenkins and Mariah has like such a place in my heart. I love her so much. So she comes to the ranch and she makes a man out of Logan, basically, um, and brings him down several notches, which is well-deserved. So that's Destiny's Embrace by Beverly Jenkins. Romance on a Ranch. I love the moms in Beverly Jenkins books. They're so amazing. They're so good. <laughs> like, you would think you're reading a romance, like, I don't want to read about the mom, but nah. No, no. Nah, you moms. want the moms. Mm-hmm. You want the moms. You do want the moms. All right, question five. This is from Jamie. Um, let's see. I really like the idea of reading romance novels, but in practice, I've never been able to complete one. There are a number of reasons for this, but the main problem I've come across is sexism. The books I've picked up have almost always had strong alpha males, usually scarily domineering and borderline abusive. I've been able to read about and like other kinds of alpha men in classic literature, like Wuthering Heights or Jane Eyre, but funnily enough, I don't find the relationships in those books as sexist as I found in modern romance. So do you know of any feminist romance novels that won't get me, any, won't get me in a rage throwing a book across the room? All right, I got to disagree with your premise here. <laughs> um, I don't think that modern romance is more sexist than the... Cl- I mean, like in Wuthering Heights, he literally beats every woman that he meets, and I have never read a romance novel with that sort of abuse. But um, I totally believe that in trying to find a romance that you like, you've come across alpha alpha holes, basically, is like what they're called in romance speak. Um, 
and that's not your bag. That's cool. That's not my bag either. So we yes, the answer we do have books for you to read. And I am talking so I go. So keep going. My first <laughs> um, pick for you is the Countess Conspiracy by Courtney Milan. It's in the Brothers the Sinister series. It's actually the third one in the series, but you don't have to read them in order, which I feel like is true for most uh, romance series. Um, all of the books in the Brothers Sinister series have they're not beta like. They're, you know, they're not, they're just normal. They're just normal guys. Like, they're not dom- domineering. They're certainly not abusive. They're not, um, you know, eight feet tall brooding, gonna make you do things whether you want to or not. That's not how Courtney Milan's heroes are. They're very just normal guys. So uh, it, in this one, I think I like this one because it starts as a friendship. The main characters are Violet and Sebastian. They're best friends. Um, Violet is a brilliant scientist, but it's Victorian England, so she can't present her work, obviously, because she's a woman. So Sebastian has been pretending to come up with the theories himself, and he is the face of her knowledge. So, And this is like on purpose. They're a partnership. So she does the science. He takes the science and presents it to the scientific community and the world at large. The science that sh- that she's doing is mostly about um, genetics and kind of evolutionary stuff. So it's controversial in and of itself, not just because it's by a woman which people know, don't know about, but because it has a lot to do with like sex and evolution. Um, and so Sebastian has gotten this reputation as being this like reviled and acclaimed brilliant genius that, uh, you know, researches this really inappropriate stuff. Uh, and he's a rake and all of that. But none of that is true. All of the theories are hers. Secretly, Sebastian has been in love with Violet pretty much his entire life. Um, and her husband dies. And after doing this whole thing for years, being around her but not being with her, pretending to be the person who came up with all of her brilliant ideas, Sebastian gets tired of it and threatens to not do it anymore. Um, and then they have to figure out how to navigate that. Also, he like tells her he's been in love with her his whole life. So his big <laughs> his big reveals are: I love you. Also, I don't want to pretend to be the person coming up with your your great ideas anymore. And then they have to navigate that. Um, so obviously, I don't know what I was going to say was obvious about it. It's just great. Like their relationship is great. They're, they've got this uh, the banter, the, the easy banter that comes with a long a lifelong friendship. Um, Violet's history with romance and love and her marriage is really awful and so her hesitations about getting involved with Sebastian are really real and things that I think a lot of people are going to relate to uh, and it's just it's just super feminist also the next I think the next book I think it's the next one is called The Suffragette Scandal yes, which is about so a suffragette good. obviously so really anything Courtney Milan has ever put her name on you can uh, pick up and read and you'll be guaranteed to get a little bit of feminist romance out of it so that's The Countess Conspiracy by Courtney Milan yes I agree I mean I think that the I was thinking about this and that a lot of the alpha the whole books are about like how that man then becomes a better man and mm-hmm. stops being like a total jerk and you know recognizes that women get to decide how their lives go but that process is not interesting for every reader um, yeah. and I feel you I do sometimes get tired of it too but I don't think having an alpha male necessarily means it's not feminist but anyway um, <laughs> I also have I have one uh, historical and one contemporary for you so the, the historical is A Night Like This by Julia Quinn um, which is the first Julia Quinn I ever read and really like it is kind of comes in the middle of her Bridgerton slash Smith Smythe giant you know (laughs) series of books but anyway um it is about uh the two characters are Daniel Smythe Smith um (laughs) just cracks me up every time um and uh Anna Winter uh and so Daniel uh is an earl and um he in his past he uh 
he he got in a duel and injured his uh, friend, actually somebody who was a friend of his, badly, and he, like, runs away. The guy's, his friend's father threatens to kill him, basically. Um, and so he has to leave for the continent and, you know, sort of go into hiding and not show his face in polite society. Um, and then Anna Winter is a governess to Daniel's cousins. Um, and, excuse me, Anne, not Anna. And uh, she, but she has a secret. There's more to her than meets the eye. Um, she also sort of is in hiding from a mystery made in her past. And um, Daniel returns to England and meets her and immediately is like, who is this woman? I must know more about her slash maybe make out with her in the hallway. <laughs> um, and Anna's like, no, you are an earl and I am a governess and also I have secrets and I can't get close to anybody because I have secrets. Um, and their romance plays out from there. Um, Julia is really good at the witty banter also. Like, witty banter is a staple of romance that I mm. love. Um, and her character's feel so real like they really I really felt for both of the characters in this um, even when they were being stupid and they frequently are being stupid Mm -hmm. and you're just like oh my god just talk about this like stop not talking about the thing that if you would just talk about it everything would be fine um so I got really invested, clearly. <laughs> um, and she definitely is on the lighter end of romance. Like, it's not quite as serious as some of the other authors you might come across. She's she's very funny and very good with her characters. So I would recommend anything she's written. But that is A Night Like This by Julia Quinn. All right. I also picked a historical and a contemporary. So my second pick for you is Wallbanger by Alice Clayton, which is hilarious and has the best cover ever. I love it so much. So this is obviously takes place in contemporary times, modern day. Caroline is the main character. She's just moved into a new apartment. She's got a great job. Uh, She's, you know, doing the thing. Her neighbor, she's not seen. um, And then he comes home from wherever he's been since she moved in and immediately starts having really, really loud and like athletic sex up against her wall, like night after night after night. Um, And it's keeping her up at night. Obviously, it's like super rude. Um, It's very confusing because every night it sounds like a different woman. And Caroline is like, what is this guy's deal? She finally gets so fed up with it that she storms over to his apartment in the middle of the night and knocks on the door when he's in the middle of a tryst or whatever. And and confronts him um, in a really hilarious scene that I, whatever. Anyway, um, yells at him about it and um, come to find out. So then obviously they like, they don't get along because she's interrupted him while he's busy uh, and she is irritated at how rude he's been. And so they try to like carry on their lives without bothering each other anymore. But then come to find out that he knows her boss. And so he starts to come into her social circles a little bit. They get to know each other. There's a lot of banter. He finally stops disturbing her sleep in the way that he has been. Um, and yeah, and then it's just like it follows the romancy sort of track where they kind of fall in love. It, the sex scenes are really steamy. She's um, There's a lot of banter about food. Like, the tension in this book is amazing. And it's just really funny. Like, the, it's a lot of situational comedy, as that uh, synopsis would have to be. Like, there's no way that that isn't reading, like, reading a sitcom. But it's so good. And Simon, Simon is the man, is not an alpha dude at all. He's, like, a, a photojournalist who's just, like, a normal guy who came home from a long trip and wanted to get it. So we did. But there's no, like, there's absolutely no controlling stuff in this relationship. Um, Caroline calls most of the shots. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know that, like, it's not out to be a capital F feminist, capital R romance novel, but there's certainly no um, 
negative power dynamics happening. Um, and it's it's just a barrel of laughs, and I really like it. So that's Wallbanger by Alice Clayton. My second pick is Flat Out Sexy by Erin McCarthy. And I will tell you that you're going to be surprised because it's a NASCAR romance. And what? that is probably the last place that you would expect to find like a non-super macho hero. And yet. Oh, um, Flat Out. Oh, it's a pun. Yeah, yeah. Flat Out Sexy. Get it. Get it. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> it's the first in a series. I've only read this one, but I intend to read more when I have the time. So it's about a woman. There's a lot of things I love about this book. The first is that the heroine, uh, Tamara Briggs, is a single mom. She's a widow and she's a little bit older. Like she's not some young thing looking for her first like real relationship. Like she was in love with her husband who was a driver and he died and it's really wrecked her. Um, and she's trying to like, you know, raise her kids and be a good mom and also you know she's part of this nascar world she's a lot of friends who are drivers and it's hard for her because you know her husband died so she's trying to figure out how to like be part of this world while still protecting her emotional state and also she's like kind of maybe would like to get laid Mm -hmm. um so she gets tricked into a blind date with this new young driver alec monroe who she's just like oh man like i don't have time for a real relationship i've got things to do i'm maybe not emotionally ready but but like, all right, fine, I'll, whatever, I'll go out on this date with this guy. And um, they, they, they do it. And, and <laughs> she has conflicted feelings about that. And he is just like head over heels in love with her. Like he, he and so he then is like trying to be a part of her life and wants to meet her kids. And she's like, whoa, no, whoa, whoa. No. Um, so the whole novel is basically him convincing her that he's not a one night stand, that he does want to meet her kids and like be a real part of her life, that he's not too young. And that like the fact that he's also a race car driver is like maybe like, is that or is that not a deal breaker for her? Um, so it's like doesn't really follow a lot of the lines of a lot of the romances that I've read. Um, It's an older woman and a younger man. She's got a different kind of life set up, and he's like looking to prove that he can be part of it. So I just really loved everything about it. It was a really enjoyable read. Um, I didn't think reading about NASCAR would be fun, but it totally was. Uh, So that's also delightful. Um, So that is Flat Out Sexy by Erin McCarthy. Adding to yeah, it's super good. Right. It's really <laughs> fun. Uh, do we have time for the next question? Should we call it there? Um, yeah, let's try. It. Let's do it really fast because they're getting okay. ready to leave. They're going on this trip. And it's oh, like right, right, right. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, okay. So I will read. So this question is from anonymous. My husband and I are taking a trip to Ireland this summer, and I'd love to do some reading to get even more excited than I already am. I've read James Joyce, Frank McCourt, and Colm Tobin, but would love some direction beyond those three. Uh, prefers fiction and a lighter, happier book. Okay. So since I'm still talking, I'm going to go real fast. My first pick for you is a short story collection by Edna O'Brien. It's called Saints and Sinners. Um, Edna O'Brien. Brian is Irish, and she, this would also work for our first question about, like, quiet loveliness. She just tells people's life stories, but she is such a good writer. She has such a strong voice, and her characters are so compelling and interesting. To top it off with, I saw her in conversation with Gabriel Byrne Hmm? at a book reading, and that was, like, the most Irish experience of my (laughs) life. I'm a quarter Irish, so, like, it meant a lot to me. Um, So I say unto you that you need to read Edna O'Brien. She's amazing. So that Saints and Sinners, which is a short story collection, it's available in paperback, really good plain book. Okay, my first pick would also also work for the first question about life, like quiet lives of nice, happy loveliness. So it's A Week in Winter by Maeve Binchy. Um, and this is a linked, they're not short stories, it's a novel, but they're uh, each 
chapter is told from the point of view of a different character. So it takes place in like starts off, I think, in the 80s or 90s in Ireland in a very, very small town. A young girl falls in love with an American tourist. He sweeps her off her feet, steals her away from her family to the U.S. and then abandons her there. And she has to she makes a life for herself in the U.S. while pretending that she's married because she doesn't want her family to know that she made a mistake. And then like 20 years later, she decides she's going to move back home to Ireland and open um, a bed and breakfast. So she comes back and it's still like reinserts herself into small town life in this little Irish town on the coast and um, does it. She like does the thing. She remakes this really old um, classic house, opens the bed and breakfast. And then the, the book follows both the characters who are in the small town who are helping her do that. And then the people who come to stay with her for the first week. So it's, it's really light. I don't know. I mean, everyone in here has like difficulties because it's looking at, you know, it's a novel, so it has to have conflict. Um, but the endings, the conclusions are all very like nice and tied up and happy and neat. So, um, so yeah, light, happy, Awesome. And you're traveling, so I felt like a, a bed and breakfast novel would be nice. So that's A Week in Winter by Maeve Binchy. My second pick for you is one of the lesser known works of Ray ba- Bradbury, randomly. <laughs> um, it's called Green Shadows, White Whale. Uh, and it is about, it's a novel. I do stress a novel because it feels like it's real. Um, but he wrote a novel. He went to Ireland to help write the screenplay for Moby Dick. Um, John Huston like, hired him to write the screenplay for Moby Dick. And it's about Ray Bradbury's trip to Ireland to meet with John Huston, the famous director, father of Angelica Huston, about this movie and the screenplay. And like from the get-go, like he's like, there's like, you know, the taxi driver and the men in the pub, and then the and then John Huston, who comes off as like a raging jerk. Um, <laughs> and it's such a bizarre book because you're like, how much of this is real? Um, but Bradbury also does an amazing job of like disca- describing the Irish people in the Irish landscape that he comes into contact with. Um, it's an old book, so it's like a little bit odd in some places, and you're like, eh, maybe you could have said that a little bit differently. But on the whole, I mean, Ray Bradbury is an amazing writer. It's a weird, good, cool book. Um, so that is Green Shadows, White Whale. Okay, my last pick for you is Black Lake by Johanna Lane. This is about a family in modern-day Ireland. They're, they're called the Campbells. They live at an uh, an old um, crumbling... They live in an old crumbling castle on the Irish seaside. Uh, it's called Duloc, I think is how you say it. Um, anyway, so it's been in the family for generations, but the upkeep is really strapping them, you know, monetarily. They don't have a lot of money. So John, who is the father, has decided to keep ownership of the castle, but give it over to the care of the Irish government so that they can use it as a museum. So they're going to open the doors to the public. So him and his wife and their two kids are going to move out of the big house into a small what used to be a caretaker's cottage. So they're giving up their life of like living in their ancestral seat to go move into the caretaker's tiny little cottage. So that in and of itself gives them, you know, a lot of Conflict, and each chapter is told from the perspective of one of the members of the family. So the the little boy, the daughter, the father, and the mother. Lots of secrets are revealed. There's the there's a big tragedy that um, navigate that the family has to learn how to navigate or not navigate. Um, but the atmosphere in this book is great. It's like really dark, and there's you could like feel salt air and storm happening, and you know crumbling moss covered stones, and just all of this. There's and there's some history in it. The family bought the house, um, or either bought the land to build the castle in the 1850s, and kicked all of the farmers who were already starving because of the famine off the land. Um, so there's a there that is like tied in. So it speaks to the history of Ireland a little bit, but. 
Otherwise, it's just a really well-written little novel um, that's got a lot of good atmosphere. So that's Black Lake by Johanna Lane. That's our show. We did it. Woo! Uh, Oh, right. Okay. So thank you for listening. Um, Thank (laughs) you to both of our sponsors, uh, to tryaudiobooks.com, which has got recommendations for your family travel, and to The Girls by Emma Klein, just recently published. Congratulations to that. Um, And we hope that you have enjoyed the show and will rate us on iTunes. Any recommendation, uh, feedback is good, but we especially like good ones, obviously. (laughs) Um, You can find us on the internets. I am Jen IRL. Jen with two N's IRL on Twitter and Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson and yeah we'll talk to you next week bye